You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Welcome, West Side. It's great to be together this Sunday. And thank you, Roz, for sharing so real, so powerfully. Uh, we love the women's ministry and appreciate all that you do. Um, Very impacting. Today we're going to part two of our series leading to our Easter service, and the series is is entitled Scandal of the Cross. And this comes from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, uh, where the Apostle Paul says that the message of the cross is a stumbling block, or in Greek it's scandalon. It's, It's an offense. People couldn't understand it. Of course, the Roman Empire had perfected crucifixion in that day. And so I want to begin by just helping us understand the mindset of the early Christians. And if there was a uh, Jerusalem Times in that day, the title of an article would not have been Young Hero Wins Hearts. Uh, the reason is this headline uh, wouldn't have fit. When Jesus of Nazareth died the horrible death of crucifixion at the hands of the Roman army, nobody thought him a hero. Nobody was saying as they hurriedly laid his body in a tomb that his death had been a splendid victory, a heroic martyrdom. His movement, which had in any case been something of a ragtag group of followers, it was over. Uh, At least that's what they thought. And I quote here from N.T. Wright as he begins to delve into the mindset of the early century and what the Christian uh, followers and early thinkers of the crucifixion thought in that day. You know, nothing had changed, essentially, in the minds of people of that day when Jesus was crucified. Um, it simply was another young leader who had been brutally liquidated on a cross the way the Romans were experts at. As Jesus' followers look back on that day in the light of what happened soon afterward, they came up with a shocking and scandalous, even nonsensical claim that his death had launched a revolution. That something had happened that afternoon that had changed the world. That by 6 o'clock on that dark Friday evening, the world was a different place. And nonsensical or not, They were proven right. Whether we believe in Jesus, whether we approve of his teaching, let alone whether we like the look of the movement that still claims to follow him, we are bound to see his crucifixion as one of the pivotal moments in human history. It marks the end of one era and the start of another. You see, Jesus' followers saw the crucifixion as something more than just a change of era. They saw it as the vital moment, not just in human history, but in the entire story of God and the world. They believed that with this event, the one true God has suddenly and dramatically put into operation his plan for the rescue of the world. They saw it as the day the revolution began. Jesus was obedient to God, obedient in all things, even to death, even death, on the cross. When I was a young man and I thought about the cross, it um, it kind of bothered me. I, I remember seeing a movie 
And after seeing, I was young, I was probably 10 years old. And I was mad because I was looking for the classic hero that overcomes the evil people. And yet, at the end of this story, I saw them crucify Jesus. And it didn't fit my my hero uh, mold that I had been seeing and thinking and learning about and enjoying Spider-Man as a kid growing up. Instead, it was a new kind of hero. And it made me upset to see them brutalize him. And I thought, man, people are wicked. This is wrong. This is not okay. And, you know, I thought about it a little more. And I remember leaving before I really even saw the resurrection, before I saw the victory that came through. And I realized that there are evil things that happen. There are unjust things that happen to all people. And I just moved on and went about my life of self-indulgence and self-promotion. And I finally revisited the cross at age 23. Uh, I studied the Bible and I began to grasp its true meaning. And it became much more than a personal ticket into heaven. It was more than God saving me from my sin so that I could go to heaven. Now, that idea is transformative to many who have never even conceived of the idea of sin or of heaven. And when they see it, it is big time. However, the early followers of Jesus and I myself saw it as far more than that. I saw it as a revolution that changed my tangible life. And the early Christians, they were talking about something much more uh, significant than the idea of us evacuating earth because it's evil. They were talking about a revolution to change the times that they lived in. It was dangerous. It was something that was altogether more explosive. And, you know, I want all of us to consider the cross It means so much. And I don't know if you've thought about it and if you've allowed it to impact you, but you can't really get away from it. You know, you being personally forgiven and assured of eternal life is an awesome part of the cross, but it's really not the main thing the early Christians understood about the power of the cross. They saw it as the power to change the world then and there. They saw it as the end of the powers of darkness. They saw it as freedom to fulfill their created intent as image bearers of God. Jesus' death made all the difference in the world and all the difference to the world. The revolution had begun. So today I want to talk about why. I want to talk about what. I want to talk about how. But before we get to that, I want us to just simply admit that the cross impacts every side of life, no matter who you are. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. In homes, in films, in paintings, in pop videos. You do a quick search for uh, the cross uh, on tattoos or the cross on necklaces and just a myriad of stars comes up. Uh, people wear them all the time. It's in paintings, in pop videos, in films. It's worn as earrings, necklaces, stitched or studded onto leather or denim. It's tattooed on all different parts of the skin. You know, you can imagine how uh, happy Coca-Cola or McDonald's would be, would be to own a symbol that millions wear around their necks every year. The cross is the universal Christian symbol, acknowledged by millions of Christians everywhere as the single visual sign of their faith, which is weird, isn't it? Because the cross originally was a symbol of suffering and defeat. The Roman Empire killed many thousands of its enemies by nailing them to wooden crosses. Today, it'd be like hanging a a little golden lethal injection from a necklace around our neck. 
Jesus Christ was executed 2,000 years ago by the Romans. But Christians and we do not believe that Jesus stayed dead. Instead, we believe Jesus beat death and rose again and is beyond death's reach. That makes the cross not a sign of death, but a sign of the end of death. A sign of hope. A sign of possibility for every human being. That's why people should wear crosses. That's why all of us should understand that the cross is a symbol that means something and it has transcended generations. We can be forgiven. We can get a new start. Even death's been overcome. It is worth speaking about and shouting about the cross. Today, today's lesson will comprise both our sermon and our communion. And so we call it a sermonion. And we're going to look here at the scandal and, and what it did and why it inaugurated a revolution and what it really means for us individually and how can it be accomplished in our day. So we're going to begin reading in uh, Colossians chapter 2. But I want to start, point one is simply this, powers. The cross helps us overcome the powers of this dark world. It helps us overcome the power that sin and death have over our life. And there are powers out there. We know there are political powers. Uh, there are spiritual powers. Uh, there are all kinds of law enforcement type powers. There are the powers of ideology. Uh, there's the power of influence and social influence over us. There are many different types of powers. And Jesus overcomes all those powers and sets them in their right framework. So as we read, I want to uh, take note of these powers. And I want us to understand that how does the cross start a revolution? Well, it helps us overcome the, fo the foundational uh, powers that hold us down. In verse 13, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus died, the powers lost their power. What is this power? You know, God, in his wisdom and in his love for us, created us to be his image bearers, it says in Genesis. Uh, he made them male and female. He made them in his image so that we could reflect his glory and so that we could be stewards of his good creation. And yet, because of our idolatry, because we were drawn away to self-indulgence, self-gratification, self-glorification, sin entered the world. And I know uh, Justin did a great job of talking about how uh, God restored um, even humankind through as Mary in the, in the garden is restored the first to see Jesus resurrected. Uh, we, we understand at the garden, you know, mankind sinned by crossing that line that God asked him not to cross. And ultimately, see, sin is not just about doing bad. Sin is really a result 
of us giving up our power to be the the stewards of this earth. It's really about us giving up uh, our worship and our created intent. You know, God made us to worship him and to reflect his image. When we are reflecting the image of God, we are becoming the people that we were intended to be. When you worship God, you are fulfilling that inner part of you that knows something is missing. And as you reflect God back into the world, you have a sense of wholeness. God intended for all of us to be people with purpose and intent. And instead, we go about living for idols and it wrecks us. It, um, it, it allows sin into the world and it damages us severely. And so the cross is his way of overcoming that. Uh, it's his way of saying, okay, I'm going to pay the price for sin, but not just so you individually can have a free ticket to heaven. The bigger picture, the far more significant picture, is so that the human race would not be bound by these sins, and so that we could see what our true created intent is. You know, that's the heart of the ongoing revolution. Uh, that God has inaugurated a new way to be human, which is to live in a way that is fulfillment of how God created us. You know, forgiveness is a part of that. We need it. We need the forgiveness, and that's part of the power. It says here in the text that he forgave us all our sins. Uh, the power of forgiveness is one of the great powers, and it's the power that he gives to us, and that he then uh, gives back to us to give to one another, to forgive each other, and to live a life of mission and purpose. And forgiveness is a power that each of us needs in our life. If we don't have forgiveness, it's going to take us down a bad road. And I think about uh, Jennifer Fuentes last week, who so uh, beautifully shared her story of when she was 10, her mom sent her from El Salvador to America for a better life. But she had a pain in her heart because her mom sent her away, yes, for her good, but at age 10, she didn't understand it. It was a relationship was was damaged at that point. And I loved uh, just seeing the heart of, of Jennifer as she wrestled with the real pain of being separated and, and how it made her feel and, and the hurt that arose from that and the temptation to great bitterness in her relationship. And yet as she studied the word of God and as she came in contact with the cross, forgiveness filled her heart. And her relationship with her mom was uh, restored and strengthened and even now is an ongoing uh, exhibit of God's love and God's power to change relationships. You know, God uh, worked in Roz's life powerfully, uh, drawing her to a greater purpose than just self-promotion. And I can relate greatly to that. I, I think so much about my own life. Of, uh, I remember being in high school and writing a paper about what makes me happy. And I came upon the idea that what's going to make me happy is approval from from people, approval from our society, and accomplishing great goals that then again give me more approval from people. And so it was really a lifestyle of wanting uh, approval and pride and to be lifted up in the eyes of, of others as opposed to my goal being to reflect back the glory of God. And as I studied the scriptures as well, a scene that, that I can't live that way. Uh, that yes, sin, I gotta get rid of that because why would I wanna do those things when I have something new to draw me forward? So the cross, it cancels the written code. It eliminates the debt that we have. 
And it, it takes those powers, the powers of our world, and you know, the powers of this world, the one thing they have in their back pocket, the only ultimate power is death, to kill us. If you don't like what you're doing, they can kill you. But of course, in Jesus going to the cross, the Son of Man, the ultimate hero, going to the cross and saying, I will die for you and the human race to say to all people, the powers will not win. He pays the price for sin. And he sets us free. And he says sin will not have the last word. And of course, the resurrection is the ultimate example of forgiveness. And we see at the resurrection that we get this new life. But at the cross, we understand that he did the ultimate act. And the ultimate power of this world did not hold him down. Therefore, it cannot hold us down. We are set free. And it's a powerful thing to understand that forgiveness and love and sacrifice changes all things. It started a revolution for them. And so today we need to celebrate the revolution that happened once for all when the power of love overcame the love of power. The power of love overcame the love of power. And that starts a revolution to change things here and now. And, you know, the second thing I want to bring up is vocation. N.T. Wright talks about this. Now, the word vocation, it really means your calling. Um, it could mean your mission. It is what you're inclined to do. And as I mentioned, we are all inclined. We were made to bring glory to God. We were made by God to reveal him to this world, whether through our artistic talent through our speaking, some get to speak, some get to play sports and do amazing things and reveal miracles, breaking world records. Some, in a quiet way, can write stories and psalms. Some, in a quiet way, will give love to the needy that no one else ever sees except God. God made us to fulfill his ultimate uh, intent of revealing him to this world. And that's all of our vocations, actually. That's all of our callings and missions, though fulfilled in unique and special ways. Yes, there's a calling to be those that care deeply about justice, all of us, and fight to uproot oppression. There's a calling to reveal to this lost world that, that Jesus has died. And so there's a calling for all of us. And then, of course, there is the... Uh, I like to tell my artist friends, I know uh, Scott right behind me is a painting that, that Scott Horton himself painted. As an artist, it's great to think that when God recreates the world, he's going to bring into this new creation all things that bring him glory. So that's inspiration, I think, to artists. You know, God, who is going to recreate all things in, in uh, the new heaven and new earth someday, I believe will bring into that creation all works of kindness and love and generosity and art that bring him glory so that what we do is not in vain. You know, the book of Revelation talks about this very, very clearly. And I want to read there in verse 1 or verse 5 of chapter 1 where it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. 
And again, the same things about why the Son of God died for us, what the cross means. We read um, uh, John, the writer of Revelation, says, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them, now get this, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. You see, the what has everything to do with this created intent that God in- intended for each person. That we have a vocation, a, a calling, a mission. The revolution is a mission that is to spread all around the world. We gotta get this straight. It's not a mission so that people can, can know God and then they get a free ticket to go to heaven. You know, that, that's exciting to think there's eternity. But God's intent is to create a unified uh, heaven and earth someday. The scriptures are clear on that. There's a bodily resurrection that we read about. That God's good creation is not just to be discarded and done away with. And we have to understand that he intends for us to live our lives now, given a little taste of his kingdom on this earth. Yes, the earth as we visually see uh, the political rulers that exist, as we look at the evil that exists. Uh, yes, he is not fully uh, revealed his presence to all people in all places. That is our job, is to preach his message, to be a kingdom and priest. We are royalty, it says. We're part of this kingdom. We get to be a part of the royal family of Jesus. And we're priests. We get to stand. We get to be intercessors. We get to stand between heaven and earth and deal with the garbage of this earth earth, and lead people to see and get a little taste of what heaven is all about. That's really the vocation that God has given to all of us. And we find in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, this idea of mission. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see what he's saying there? He's saying that he went to the cross, he was hung on a pole in order that the blessings given to Abraham, you know, in Genesis chapter 12, it says that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. His intention really in Galatians, he's talking about how the whole world is to find God, is to see God, is to know God. And, and I, I'm so grateful to be a part of a fellowship. The International Churches of Christ have been planting churches all over the world for really four decades and it's exciting to be a part of that, to have been invested into that. Um, I hope that you appreciate knowing that we have churches all over the world. In particular, the West Side has made special emphasis to be a part of our Middle East mission field. And today we're going to get to hear a little bit about that as we're going to hear an interview from uh, Mufid and Jesse and Steve, uh, by Steve and Jackie. Uh, Steve and Jackie, uh, and Carrie and I, we've worked with uh, Jesse Mufid for years. They help oversee all our churches in the Middle East. And we're going to hear really what's going on right now in their country. Uh, great victories in the middle of great trial. And I want to close out with that. How do we accomplish this great mission? What, what, how do we see victory in this mission, in this vocation that each of us has? And the way you, you see a victory in this great uh, mission 
is that we need to implement the victory that Jesus won on the cross. And how did he win it? Through suffering. Suffering is going to be the key. Church, we can't get away from that. There's no doubt. Suffering is the key to the victory. And many of us say, hey, I can relate. It's been tough lately. And I want to call on us, if we want to expand our fellowship, if we want to uproot injustice, and you know we see that, we've heard that, we've understood so many great teachers recently on how to uproot injustice, it does take suffering. The cross is our ultimate example to take up our cross. It's going to be an early morning, late nights, full schedule. It's going to require some hard work. It's going to require great nights of suffering with one another to help one another. And this victory will be won if we'll embrace the same kind of suffering that Jesus embraced. I want to close out with a a scripture here where the Apostle Paul talks about this suffering. He says, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Suffering is going to be the path. It is the way the revolution was ignited and started, and it is the way the revolution will continue. And this revolution is so that we can change our world here and now, uprooting injustice, revealing Jesus to a lost and dying world, and helping them understand that they've been given this great mission, this great vocation. They have a purpose Uh, I know Roz, she shared that she wanted something deeper like that, a purpose that meant something. All of us can resonate with that. And Jesus has given us this incredible calling, but it will involve suffering. As we go into communion right now and as we're going to pray, I want us to reflect on the words from the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts. He says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The cross It is scandalous because it started a revolution to change the world. I hope that you can reflect on uh, really what God is calling you to be and do and and how much he has done for us and what it means. Uh, He gives us this incredible calling and he gives us the power to forgive and be forgiven. Uh, He gives us this vocation that um, makes us have a wholeness inside of us and You know, he gives us the example of suffering that will be the seed uh, and the water that creates this fruitfulness in our ministries and in our own personal lives. As we reflect on him going to the cross, let's thank him at this time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time to come and reflect on the revolution that uh, was inaugurated at the cross. Lord, we, um, we need you. 
we know, we strive to understand this, this infinite miracle of love that you have given us. Thank you, God. Help us to fulfill our created intent uh, of being image bearers. Help us to forgive and be forgiven on all counts. God, help us to not shy away from suffering as we know that will be the key to change lives. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.